0: Good morning. Welcome, glad you're here this morning and I trust you look forward to being together as God's people and growing in the way of the Lord. A special welcome to our guests this morning and returning guests, we're glad you're here to worship with us. Please take a moment if you have a connection card attached to your bulletin and pull, put it in the basket when it's passed later on, we really appreciate that. If this is your first time, at the end of the service in the hub is connection area where we'd love to get acquainted, there'll be a couple people over there to get to know you and answer any questions you may have. Today, we're dealing with Jesus' teaching on loving your enemies. So if you'd rather leave now, just go ahead. (laughs) You know you have these little floaters in front of your eyes that go by, and you kind of wipe your eyes. Well, today, they're coming in the form of little faces of people as we deal with people that are hard to love and hard to extend ourselves to. And yet, what motivates us is the fact that the Bible tells us the truth about ourselves, that we're all enemies Of God, and while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. That's what moves us to pay attention to this master teacher and the only one qualified to save us from our sins. Let's pray as we continue. Our Father in heaven, thank you for calling us together. You know us each by name and by action, by intention, by heart. There is nothing outside of your sight today. And in spite of that, Father, you so love us. Thank you for that. And I pray we will be captivated again by your awesome presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. Matthew, one of the biographers of Jesus, records his great sermon on the mount. And this is what Jesus' words are recorded by Matthew, 5, chapter 5, beginning with verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, And tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, uh, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy." But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Hard teaching. It sounds so good. It sounds good in theory. But in practice, is this very realistic? Imagine you're an African American and you live in the South in the 50s and you read this text. Or you're a Jew in Germany in the 30s and you read this. Or you're an immigrant today in our country, and you hear this. You know, how do you hear this? Is it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem realistic. There's a knee-jerk reaction to us. I like what Eugene Peterson confesses about his own life. He said, I grew up in a Christian home with good parents. I was told the story of Jesus. I I was instructed in the right way to live. And then I went off to school and discovered the world. This knowledge came into my life in the person of Garrison John's. Garrison was the school bully About the third day in school he discovered me And took me on as his project for the year I had been taught in Sunday school not to fight I had memorized blessed are those who are persecuted And I learned to turn the other cheek Most mornings after school Garrison would catch up with me and beat me up I tried to find alternative ways home by making detours through alleys But he stalked me and always found me out And then one day, something unexpected happened. I was with my neighborhood friends, seven or eight of them, when Garrison caught up with us and started in on me, jabbing, taunting, working himself up to the main event. That's when it happened. Something snapped within me, totally uncalculated, totally out of character. For just a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness, and I grabbed Garrison. To my surprise and his, I realized that I was stronger than he. I wrestled him to the ground, sat on his chest, and pinned his arms to the ground with my knees. I couldn't believe it. He was helpless at my mercy. It was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fists. It felt good, and I hit him again. Blood spurted from his nose, a lovely crimson on the snow. By this time, all the other children were cheering, egging me on. Black out his eye, bust out his teeth. A torrent of vengeful invective poured from him. And I said to Garrison, say, uncle. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. More blood, more cheering. And then my Christian training reasserted itself. I said to him, say, I believe Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. (laughs) And he said it. Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. <laughs> Here's the problem with this passage, is it just doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem like this can really make sense in our world. It's a natural thing. It's a right thing, isn't it, to just to, to, to return what's been, what's been done to us. We can learn this text. We can study this text. We can memorize these verses. But when face-to-face with the various Garrison Johns of life, it just doesn't seem practical. There are a few passages in the Scripture that summarize Christian ethics as well as this passage does. And there are a few passages that are more misunderstood than this one as well. We have these recognizable phrases like, turn the other cheek. Go the second mile. Love your you—you you, A person doesn't have to have darkened uh, the door of a church any time in their life to have heard these phrases or be be familiar with them at all. These words are needed as much uh, today in our world as they were needed in Jesus' day because the desire for revenge is as strong as ever in our culture, in you, in me. My knee-jerk reaction is to want to say something back or to get even with people. When someone wrongs us, we just want to get even. So let me make comment on a couple of the statements here, and then we'll make some practical application. First of all, for instance, verse 39 says, Do not resist an evil person. What does that mean? We let other people just walk on us, and that we never should stand up for our rights. Well, I don't think Jesus is teaching that, because Jesus himself went into the temple, and he threw out the money changers. He turned over tables. He wasn't passive at all. When the apostle Paul was arrested in Acts 16, he was put in prison. After he was in jail, they realized Paul was a Roman citizen. They hadn't treated him properly. And so when they came to release him, he said, no, I want the authorities to come. And I want them to usher me out because I want my name cleared before this town's people. He stood up for his rights in that place. Resist here. When Jesus says this, he's teaching that he's talking about retaliation. That we're to refrain from retaliating or talking about about revenge. He's speaking about revenge, not self-preservation. He's talking about the vengeful spirit and attitudes that grow up within us. He's not telling us to be weak and passive. He's telling us not to be vindictive toward those who have wronged us. Verse 42. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So if you're a Christian banker and somebody comes in for a loan, are you just to give anybody because you're a Christian, give anybody a loan? What about beggars you meet on the corner or you pass? Should you give something to every beggar that, that you meet? You know, what if a friend borrows something and everything they've borrowed before comes back broken or doesn't come back at all and they want something more? Should you just continue to give? Are you supposed to do that? These are the questions that we wrestle with in life. You know, we have to remember also in this loaning and giving is that also God has called us to be wise stewards of what we have and not to be frivolous and careless, but to be wise and discerning and what he's the resources he's given us to use. Now, through all this, when you come to the end of the text, when you go down to verse 48, the text closes this way. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. That word perfect, is the Greek word is teleos, and it means to be mature and complete. So in this context, what Jesus is saying, look, your Father is a perfect lover. He loves perfectly. So when it comes to loving people, this is, how, this is how you behave to become more like your Father in Heaven who perfectly loves. And isn't that our journey? We are growing to be like Christ. Therefore, we have to figure out how does God want me to love so that, not I'm just happier and healthier that way, so that I become more like my Master, Jesus Christ. That's what he wants us to learn ultimately about this. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies, sinning against God, Jesus went this far to care for us, his enemies, to love on us. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. So being perfect in this context is about learning to love like God loves. Here are four ways to love our enemies. First of all, don't respond to insults. Don't respond to insults. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, Jesus is talking not so much about physical violence as he is about insult because we know that if, if a guy's standing here and uh, I hit him, slap him, I'm going to slap his left cheek. Now, Jesus says if someone strikes you on the right cheek. Well, to hit his right, I have to hit him with the back of the hand. According to rabbinic teaching, when you slap someone in the face, that was an insult. But if you hit somebody with the back of your hand, it was twice the insult. So Jesus is saying, don't retaliate by insulting in return, no matter how severe it is. Don't return an insult for an insult, and you know from practical experience, if you return an insult, if I return an insult, what is it? It's always a little bit harsher than what I received. There's always a trumping somebody else for what they said. That's how retaliation works. We don't only just want to get even. We want to we want to trump the person who has wronged us. That's the nature of the flesh. That's that, that that's that, that's how it works. Jill Price has a rare condition called superior autobiographical memory. Uh, She's been studied by experts at UCLA. She has this rare condition by which she is able to to remember vividly every detail of every day of her life since she was age 14. She's now an adult. And she said sometimes, you know, it's a blessing, but she says usually it's a curse because I, I replay all the insults all people have done against me. You know what that's like, don't you? You don't have the rare condition. But we do have this condition that causes us to replay insults, things said to us over. And what happens when we replay that disc in our brains? We add more words to it. You know, we add tone of voice. We make it harsher than even it first was spoken. That's the nature of replaying all these things. Imagine being Jill Price. She, says, she said, when I, sleep, when I try to go to bed, I, sometimes it's just paralyzing I can't hardly function going on in my life because I keep replaying this over and over again. Does that describe anybody here today? That there are ways that there are people who have done something, have wronged you even this week, and you, you, you have a hard time dismissing it. It happens. First Peter 3.9 says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So if someone has wronged you by whatever, Intentionally, unintentionally, Jesus says you turn that around by blessing that person. Second, do more than is required to make things right. Verse 40 says, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So in Jesus' day, a man would have two or three tunics, like shirts they would wear, long tops, and then they had these cloaks to wear over and if someone took you to court, according to Exodus 22 in the law, uh, you're, you're, you could be sued. And, uh, well, let's say that like you set a contract, and part of the collateral you put down was your tunic. That was worth. Clothing was worth something in Jesus' day. So you named your tunic as collateral. Let's say you messed up your contract, and a person has a right to come against you because you haven't held to your contract. They can sue you for your tunic, but not your cloak. Because your cloak was more than just a jacket; it was a blanket at night that you slept under, or you rolled it up to put under your head as a pillow. So they, the rabbis taught that you you couldn't do that. So Jesus saying, if you have a debt you haven't paid, and you get sued as a result, and they get what's coming to them, pay back more than what you owe. Go beyond the normal and the routine. By showing your regret that you had to be taken to court to begin with. That's the point. Now, a lot of the things we have to give back aren't, you know, you don't have to go through a court. It's just things we owe back to people. It's, it's modeled by Zacchaeus. When salvation came to his house and he said, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That's what, that's what Jesus is teaching in this principle. We go beyond what people would expect. Now, It may not just be about money. It may be that you said something against somebody, that we slandered somebody, that we gossiped against somebody, and it got back to them, or we imposed upon their time or their kindness toward us. We spread news about them that doesn't help them in their reputation. Jesus is saying, you make full restitution and you go more. It's it's so humbling to, to do these kinds of things. It's easier to love someone who has wronged you and us, I should say, than to humble ourselves toward people we have wronged. That that's what Jesus is calling us to. When we do that, even though God has never wronged anyone, what did God do for us? He went beyond what the routine, what the ordinary was, what the, to love us in ways that we do not deserve. It's the same kind of principle that we learn our relationships with people who have wronged, have wronged us or people we have wronged. We want to make sure that's cleared as much as possible. Third, treat mistreaters with kindness. Treat mistreaters with kindness. If someone forces you to go one mile, go within two miles. Now remember, when Jesus is teaching this, the Jews are under Roman rule. This is the day of the great Roman Empire. And so if you are around a soldier, a soldier saw you as a civilian, they could carry my pack. And you are obligated by law to carry that pack for a mile. Jesus says if he asks you to do that, offer to go a second mile. Now, that would be inconvenient, perhaps. Perhaps it would be anger-producing. But Jesus says you do it anyway. Now, to make this practical, we're not going to be, find a cop today probably is going to make us carry whatever for a mile. But you are going to go to work and have a bully of a boss, maybe, that demands more of you. Or you're going to work for a company that takes advantage of you. A company that is insensitive to your needs. Or you're, you're going to be in a situation where a neighbor uh, wants something from you who has, who has wronged you and demands of you. Let's say you have to, your boss asks you to stay after work an extra hour, and you stay two. And by the way, you're not allowed to grumble about it. You're not allowed to complain. You're not allowed to murmur under your breath to fellow employees or your family. You're not allowed to do that because that's son Jesus-like. Going the second mile means you're doing whatever, whatever you, you, you need to do to build bridges with whoever it is demanding something from you. Now, is this going to change your boss or your company? It doesn't matter. It will change you and me. When we learn to go do whatever is necessary to make a difference. When we behave that way, we become more like our Father in heaven who is perfect. Fourth, don't show favorites. Don't show favorites. First 42 says, give to anyone who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. By the way, you got those little floating people going through your eyes yet? You know, and you want to wipe your eyes and not think about them, but they're there. You can't shake them. I hope you don't, but probably most of us do. It's interesting that Jesus includes this along with loving enemies, but it's the right, te- right text for it because we're much more willing to do for our friends than our enemies or to do for people who are like us than those who are unlike us. You know, now, you know, my mom went to be the Lord, with the Lord back in December a couple of months ago, and when I talked about her, many of you know how much I praised her for her faith. Well, I've got a bad illustration about her, but she's in heaven now. She won't know it unless God tells her, and I don't think he's going to tell her, all right? So, you know, my mom was a great woman of faith, but she also lived very equally. Like, uh, she, she was very hospitable, loved to have people. But if friends had her over and, and dad over for dinner, like last month, and they invite him over this month, mom will say, I'd hear her on the phone, oh, we can't come over till we have you. And so she kind of kept score all the time. That there had to be this evenness about what we do for each other. You know, that's a hard way to live. How do you keep score with everybody? You know, it, it's hard. And there are lots of people that don't feel like, they don't want to feel like they're in debt to somebody. But that's kind of what's part of human relationships. There is an indebtedness we always have to one another because when we serve each other in love, that, that it's almost like we want to outdo each other. Because we have been outdone by the grace of God poured into us. You see, that's what it's like. And Mark McCormick is an author of the book. You've heard of it, in What They Don't Teach at Harvard Business School. And he said in that book, all things being equal, people buy from friends. All things being unequal, people still buy from friends. Therefore, make friends. Now, if you're in sales, you get it. You're, you're, because you're always networking. You're always trying to build, build your network to be able to make more money. Bless the company, the bottom line. That's how business works. Jesus challenged us to go beyond that, that kind of, of attitude, by being generous to those who can't be generous to us, and being generous to those who are very unlike us, racially, economically, different from us intellectually, don't have the means to pay back, It's not about money, actually. It's not about that. It's about the call to treat everyone with equal respect because they also have been created in the image of God. And every person has intrinsic worth. God views them as either a child of his or an orphan that he'd love to have as a child of his. And with Jesus' eyes, we have to keep seeing people that way as well. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to. He's commanding us, be sure that we're not stingy in our attitude, our spirit, the things that we have. Don't hold back. And when we're like that, we're becoming more and more like our perfect Father in heaven. Tough teaching. He said in verse 43, you've heard that it says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. That's a Jewish idiom, meaning so that you can be like God. You'll be like God when you do this. Loving our enemies seems terribly impractical. It seems like you're just going to set yourself up for pain, and you know you will. But isn't that what our Lord did for three years? Didn't he increasingly set himself up for pain? Every time he went town to town to heal people, where was he headed? He was headed to the cross. They were going to do him in, and yet he kept loving them. These two things, keep in mind. First, loving our enemies means we never close the door on a relationship. That's the key meaning in this text. We never, see, when we hold things against people, if we're retaliating, If we're closing and becoming small, what we're doing, we are shutting down any opportunity to make a difference in that person's life for eternity. And as followers, as people that are sold out to Jesus Christ, we have to do our part to remove any barrier that might be there so that the door is always open. The opportunity can always be there to present itself that we might make a difference in that person's life. So you strike me on the cheek? I, I'm not going to turn the other cheek because I mean, I'm, I'm going to let you do it again because I want somehow to move forward in this relationship. I'm not going to retaliate with an insult because I, I want you to remember that I didn't retaliate and maybe someday you'll want the one that I have. You, you, you want to go after my shirt. Well, here's my cloak as well. I want you to see that I want you to have what you need. I want to show you kindness of God. Second, loving our enemies means we never forget we've been forgiven. We've never, we never forget that. We've all insulted the creator of our lives. We have, all, we have all punched him in the face. We've slapped him in the face. We've backhanded him in the face. Nevertheless, he has poured out his life for us. And friends, what I'm saying, what Jesus is teaching us today, you cannot walk out of here and put this up as if you would and make a checklist and think you're going to do it. You're not. This only comes by welcoming the Holy Spirit of God into our lives to to such a degree and such a depth that it's His power in us. Now today, while while you're deliberating on this passage, who comes to mind? Is there anybody in prison that you've set for them? Some of you have a parent that scarred you and you've never forgiven them. You have a sibling that you've been on the outs with, and and you just, you know, you don't want to be near him. Now, I'm not saying there isn't a place for healthy boundaries. That's another subject. I'm not saying that we become doormats. That's not what Jesus is teaching. He's simply teaching that we conduct ourselves in a way that no matter what happens in the future, I'm not the cause for keeping anybody away from knowing him. You got a parent you need to free, maybe it's a dead parent that you're still blaming for your life, a brother, a sister, a child, a a good friend who betrayed you, an ex-spouse, ex-wife, ex-husband that you still have this hatred and anxiety toward. You are the one in the prison. We're the ones who set a prison for ourselves. And we become small. I've used this quote before. It was one of my favorites of C.S. Lewis. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies, with little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Friends, Jesus Christ came to set the prisoner free. That's including you and me, who sometimes put ourselves in self-made prisons out of spirits and attitudes and unforgiving thoughts in our minds and hearts. We cannot do this without the Holy Spirit of God. When we are baptized into Jesus Christ, he blesses us with the gift of his presence by his Holy Spirit. And I tell you, there's sometimes you have to say, God, I don't know how to forgive that guy. You're going to have to do it in me. And you know God will hear that prayer. You pray that sincerely, and God will work in our hearts in a way that he will release that person from your life and owing you anything. It's what Jesus did. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so the apostle Peter writes this. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed.